Welcome everyone, happy Sabbath. Thank you so much for being here with me today. You know, I love being here at the Pendleton Adventist Church because when I come into this place and I look out at each of your faces, I see the faces of the people who God has placed in my heart as being people that I have been called to lead, to pray with, to cry with, to laugh with, to celebrate with, to live life with in a world that is not our home. How many of you have been sensing this fact? That the world that we're living in right now is not our home and it's becoming more and more and more hard to do just the everyday things. I was telling my mom this week, I'm so happy my mom and Aubrey are here in church today. I love it when mom comes and sits right here on the second row of the Pendleton Adventist Church. And I'm so happy that all of you that are watching on the live stream, which will air, it could be airing now, it might be airing at 11, I think it happens at 11, um, Pacific Standard Time. And all of you that will watch on the YouTube, on Facebook, everywhere will you, where you will hear this sermon Live by faith. I'm very happy that you're joining us. I'm happy that you're with us. And I just want to let you know that whether or not you're able to be here in person or you're watching online, you're a part of our family. We're praying for you and we love you. Friends, it is so important right now in the time that we are living in for us to know a couple of things, okay? And I want to start today by telling you the two things that I think are important for us to know. One, it's important for us to know that no matter what is happening in our life, no matter what attacks of the enemy are occurring, no matter what realities are happening in this world that is not our home, that is caused by the prince of darkness, that is caused by the spiritual forces of darkness in the unseen heavenly realms, this battle that we are fighting against those spiritual forces that are always trying to discourage the children of God, there is something that's important for us to know. There isn't anything in all of creation, in all of the heavens above, in all of the earth below, in anything in the ocean or on the mountains or in the air or in the animals. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And we need to remember it. Why do we need to remember it? Because there's another thing that God put on my heart this morning as I was sitting in my office and preparing. I was thinking to myself, it doesn't seem like there's enough hours in the day or in the week just to get maybe even the first few things done on my list that need to happen. How many of you are feeling like you're constantly running out of time for the things that need to happen? I feel like I wake up, I get out of bed, I might have time to do my daily Bible reading to get ready for the Instagram Live at 5.15, and then it's already 5.15. And I feel like I've gotten nothing done. Am I the only one here today? It's like the days are just gone. Gone. Monday, gone. Tuesday, gone. Wednesday, gone. Thursday, gone. Friday, gone. Sometimes Sandra and I are sitting in the office looking at each other and we're being like, is there as many hours in the day anymore? Or are they just gone before they even start? And all of us are struggling to try to get all of the same things done that we've always done when we're living in a world where the reality is, friends, it's just not as easy to get it all done anymore. And so we're all running about individually, all by ourselves, all alone, trying to keep up on the treadmill of life in this world that is not our home. We've been convinced by the world that we have to keep running the race at the same pace. And this does something to us. It keeps us away from point number one. It keeps us away from the Savior who is with us down in the depths 
or on the mountaintop. It keeps us from coming to Jesus because we're so busy trying to get there, to keep up, to do everything, to run the rat race, and to continue with life as usual as if nothing has changed in our world. And we do this and it keeps us away from Jesus. But it does something else. Maybe some of you are already picking up what I'm putting down and you can guess where I'm going next. They tell me, don't turn your back to the camera. People don't like it when you turn your back. Sometimes I got to turn my back and just take a walk with Jesus, right? Because I'm going to tell you something. There are many moments in my life just like yours, and I don't even have to ask the question. I already know this to be the fact. What I'm about to say right now is a reality for everybody sitting in the sanctuary, for everybody watching on YouTube, for everybody that's going to listen on Facebook, wherever you hear this sermon, live by faith. You are going to actually identify with this, and I know that you will. The world that we are living in right now feels very lonely. Never before in history have we had so many people of all ages struggling with their mental health because in the battle that we're fighting, trying to keep up with the rat race of life, trying to run on the conveyor belt as fast as we can to keep up with everything in a world where it feels like we're running out of time, we can't keep up with everything, I'm not feeling as good as I used to, my mental health is suffering because of all of the isolation. Here we are, we're trying to go through all of it, and each and every single one of us are struggling and feeling lonely. But there's a tragedy that happens in our world, friends, and it's this. And I fall victim to the same tragedy. It's as we are going through these realities, we are tempted to try to appear like everything is okay. I'm just fine. I got, no, 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 it's fine. I don't need any help. I don't need anyone else. I've got it together. No, thank you. I know I've got to keep up. I've got to do it. I've got to check all the boxes because I want people to know just how much I've got it together. And what does this end up doing? Well, I'll tell you what it ends up doing. When we're not doing well, when we are struggling, when there are things going on in our life that we don't want nobody to know about because we have to have it all together and we have to look just so before we want to be around anyone, we end up isolating even more so that people won't know what we're going through. And here's something that ends up happening as a result of it. Number one, we end up not going to Jesus because we're trying to keep it all together ourselves. And number two, we end up not connecting with the very people who could remind us to go back to the Savior. And so what is the enemy doing? I can remember just a couple of months ago all of the excitement right around nominating committee. Everything's coming together. A rise online is starting. We have the Bible in a year going. All of this stuff is going, and we're having kind of this mountaintop moment. That's how it felt. Everyone was happy, right? We were all encouraged. The church is moving forward full steam. And recently, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me and saying, Stephen, people are discouraged. We're tired. January was cold. February, the weather's really hot. The farmers are upset because everything's budding. If it doesn't stay warm, it's not good news. We're happy about the sunshine. Now they're praying for the showers. And they're praying that when the showers come, that it stays warm because if everything buds and it gets cold again, what happens? Bad crops this year, right? Add that to the pandemic. That's not good news for Pendleton people, is it? That's not good news for Pilot Rock people. That's not good this entire eastern Washington and Oregon region. And I think lately, it's just been, it's been one thing after another. It has felt like it just keeps piling and piling and piling. It just, you know. And I'm going to be honest with you. Yesterday, it's so funny. My mom, I'm on the phone with my brother, okay? I go down to Domino's. I said, you know how I'm going to get through Friday and get ready for the sermon? I'm going to get a Domino's pizza. And as I'm studying for the sermon, every time I get through one portion of the sermon, I get to have one slice of pizza just to put a smile on my face so that I feel like I can get through today, right? My brother calls me on the phone. We have a two-hour conversation. My brother's in the military out on the East Coast. We have this two-hour conversation. And at the end of the conversation, I look at my phone and realize two hours has gone by. And I've gotten a message from my mom that came an hour before. She says, I'm off work and I'm on my way. I'm coming to be with you for the weekend. And I think, that's great, I forgot my, my suits in Tri-Cities at the dry cleaner. And so I can ask my mom to pick them up. And by the time I message my mom, she's already sitting at the church. And it was so funny because I said, Mom, 
This is terrible. Now I have to tell you, please get in the car with me so we can drive all the way to Kennewick to the neighborhood dry cleaner to pick up my suits and drive all the way back and we get to spend the next two hours and 20 minutes together in the car rather than just enjoying being together. And she says, well, okay, honey, if that's what you need to do, why can't you just wear something that's at your house and preach in it? Oh, I said, no, mom, I can't. Are you, are you kidding me? Can the people ever see me not finely pressed in my suit and tie? Right? But you know what I'm saying, though? Because this is my instinct, too, and I'm confessing this to you because I'm a human like you. I want to come here, too, feeling healthy, full of energy, just like Pastor Farr has always been, running around the countryside, coming and visiting you in your homes, having dinner, talking a million miles an hour. Sometimes you guys wonder if I ever stop talking. Right? But you don't really mind. You're like, you know, the guy has energy. It makes me feel better. Whatever. We're smiling. We're happy. And you know what? I fall victim to this idea that I've always got to have it together. The suit and tie has to be pressed and everything else because if I came here, God forbid, wearing a jeans and t-shirt because my suit is out in Tri-Cities and, and I stood in front of the YouTube camera and the Facebook and the people in the church, what would they think? Oh, I don't know. I think Pastor Farr is looking a little tired. I heard he was sick recently. Maybe he's falling apart. He was on vacation. Ha <laughs> ha. We knew it was too good to be true. This pastor's not going to last. He won't make it. He's dying right in front of us. What's happening, right? And so I have the temptation in my mind. I want to come to church in my suit and tie, pressed, and ready to impress, and ready to preach, and have the energy, and have it all together. And you know what? That's the very thing that causes people to feel like they can't relate to pastors, preachers, and church leaders. Because guess what? We're all going through struggles. And if we're going to make it, the Bible tells us something. You guys, in the end times, don't give up coming together and being together and make Jesus the center of everything you're doing. And here's why. Because it's going to get really hard. And no matter how bad it gets, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to get away from people so that nobody knows you're struggling when the truth is, is that we're all going through it. And the one thing that we need to do is come together in our jeans, in our t-shirts, in our brokenness, in our sickness, in our financial struggles, whatever it is that's going on, in our feelings like there's not enough time, I can't keep up, I'm not, I'm not doing it the way I used to do it anymore, I can't keep it together. And we need to come in that mess and we need to run to Jesus together. Because what the devil wants is for each and every single one of us to die alone trying to look a certain way when the one thing that we need to do is come to Jesus, let him be the cornerstone. And because Jesus is the cornerstone, filling us with the Holy Spirit, we can actually come together in our brokenness. And instead of seeing each other as pathetic because we're not keeping up, we can see each other through heaven's eyes and realize that we just need to love each other the way Jesus loves us in our mess. Because, friends, you're not fooling anyone. And neither am I. I'm not fooling anyone either. You guys saw me on Bible in a Year the other day. I'm sitting there at 5.15. I've done my Bible reading. I want to go live every day at 5.15. Ask Sandra. If there's one thing that has to happen on my day, if everything else gets canceled and messed up, I want to be able to get on and proclaim the gospel every single day. I'm very happy that that's my heart. Okay. But here's the truth of the matter. Here I am at 5.15, I don't know, it was a week ago. I sit down in front of the camera, and I hit the play on my phone, and here I'm going live, and I've done my Bible reading, and I'm trying to keep going, and I am terribly sick at the moment, and suddenly I'm realizing about five minutes into this thing, I can't read the words on the page. I can't see. And so I'm sitting here just by my memorization of the stuff, trying to see the page in front of me, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm not feeling all right. 15, 20 minutes into the thing, I decide, well, I probably better pray and shut this thing down because I don't think I can keep going. I'm not okay. And then I start getting messages. Pastor Farr, are you okay? And my number one instinct is, is to tell everyone I'm perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with me. I've got it all together. I will be there tomorrow. I will clock in. I will keep going and nothing will stop. It will just keep going. Be encouraged. Everything's fine. Well, you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't fine. This was about, oh, I don't know, 10 days ago now. 
So I decide, well, I'm not feeling right. Maybe I should go and do a COVID test. Guess what? Those things are supposed to take 15 minutes to tell you you're COVID positive. I could barely drop the thing into the test applicator at home, and it was already two lines solid. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. Now I get to do this. And many of us sitting here this morning have already gone through it. We've gone through the stress and the fear of thinking at any moment I could get COVID, and if I do, I don't want anyone to know because, oh man, what are people going to think? I mean, not only do we have to go through the stress of possibly getting sick and having no idea whether or not, will I have symptoms? Will I not have symptoms? If I test positive, am I going to live? Am I going to die? I don't know what's going to happen. And I've got all of these people counting on me, and I'm trying to go to work, and I'm trying not to get contact with anybody that might make me sick because if I get sick, then I can't go to work. And not all of us have benefits to where we get paid even if we're sick, right? Some of us are feeling the pressure of having to keep up with all of the insanity that's going on. I've got to go to work. I've got to make sure I make my money. I've got to make sure I do my thing. And if I can't do it, what's going to happen to my family? I've got to keep going. It doesn't matter how I feel. Am I the only one, friends? And what I came today to say, what I've, I've had God telling me all morning is, Stephen, stop it. Stop. Stop. Stop it. Stop trying to keep up. Quit trying to run the rat race. If anything, let your church members know that it's okay. If you can't do it like you've always done it before, friends, it's okay. Stop. Did you know that you matter and that God loves you? Did you know that your life matters? Did you know that Jesus doesn't love you if you keep on producing and making the money and running the rat race and you keep the economy going? Who cares what happens to it? You know what matters more than the economy? Your life. Each other. You matter. I matter. Jesus loves me. If I don't go live at 5.15 and I don't keep up with my Bible reading, Jesus loves me. If I don't make it to church because I'm sick with COVID, Jesus loves me. If I'm laying in a hospital bed... If I'm wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, vaccinated, not vaccinated, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. He loves you. And why is it that we isolate from each other and mistreat each other, or even we think badly we have our own guilt and our own shame about the fact that I'm not running the race fast enough, I'm not keeping up, I'm not doing good enough, I've got to keep on going at the same pace I've always gone, when the world we're living in is crazy right now. Stop putting that pressure on yourself. Quit putting that pressure on each other. Run to Jesus, and by all means, let him be the cornerstone that brings us together because, friends, the only way we are coming through the things that we are going to be facing in the near future in this world is together. And the one thing Satan wants is us all to isolate and do it alone. Go hide from everyone and try to pretend you've got it together and don't let them know what's going on with you and come back when you've got it all lined up. And that's the devil's lie. I've got news for you. You're never going to have it all lined up just so. Jesus came not to condemn us because we can't keep the law, but to fulfill the law for us because none of us have ever kept the law. None of us have ever been righteous enough to go to heaven. None of you have ever kept the Sabbath perfectly. None of you have ever kept the Ten Commandments as much as you think that you have. You haven't. The commandments were designed and given to Israel, not because that law didn't already exist, but so that they would have a mirror to look in so that they would see you don't have it all together. And by the way, there's good news. You don't have it all together, and that's the thing that qualifies you for the Jesus who is your Savior who is coming. And here's why. Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death. Friends, I've got news for you. Everyone in this room is a sinner. And you know what that means? We all deserve death equally. There is nobody better than anyone in this room. Let's start there. Hello, people on YouTube and Facebook, live stream, are you hearing what I'm saying? You're a sinner too. And by the way, you're not better than anyone around you. You know why? Because if you have one sin in your life, the wage of that sin is death, and you can't unsin a sin you've sinned, and you were born with sin. So here's the good news. The gospel levels the playing field. You're all doomed. 
And that's the thing that qualifies you for the free gift of life that Jesus Christ is offering you. Not because of your righteousness, because guess what? Your robes of righteousness smell like dung. He says, your robes are filthy. All of your good works that you want to pile up in front of me as you're trying to run that little treadmill of life to keep up with all of the things that you think you need to do, all of your good works smell like dung in my nostrils because my son is the only one who ever came and fulfilled the law, and you're going to need to put your faith in him if you're going to make it. You don't get to heaven on any good thing that you've done. And you don't miss out on heaven because of the sin in your life. Why? Because the sin in your life, the brokenness in your life, the not keeping up in your life and being human like everyone else is what qualifies you for the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's tree. And so Paul said, hey, you know what? <laughs> I want to let you know, chief of sinners, right here, it was me. I was murdering Christians, I was warring against the church, and I was doing everything against God, thinking that I was serving God. I was the best Pharisee, Roman citizen, everything else. I was the biggest mess in front of the entire world, and he thought he had it together in his nice priestly robes. Ha ha ha, multiple languages, degrees, all of this stuff, look at me. I'm the young and up-and-coming Pharisee. Pretty soon I'll be part of the Sanhedrin. I will have the most honored position in Israel. I will be rolling in the temple coin. I've got it together. <laughs> and let's go and kill and persecute these people putting their faith, faith in the, this Jesus of Nazareth. And see, here's the thing that happens, friends. When we're running the rat race of life and we jump on the treadmill and we're trying to keep it all together and show how we've got it all together and that we're keeping the law good enough to go to heaven, you know what we end up doing? We end up being like Paul. We begin to become not only persecutors of ourselves, which is just as much a sin against a God as persecuting others. Did you hear what I just said? When you're listening to Satan's lies about you rather than seeing yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ, which gives you his righteousness, when you are seeing yourself and you're claiming your guilt and you're looking at your sin and your brokenness and you're thinking, I'm not good enough to be with God's people or to show up in church or anything else and I've got to hide under this rock until I get it all together, you are sinning against God by doing it because you are denying the free gift of life that Jesus Christ wants to give you. And then, here's the worst part. Now we go to the second connection. You are then also perpetuating the same idea that you have believed from the enemy, which is a lie about you, and you're letting everyone else around you think the same lie about themselves. And as a result, what ends up happening? We end up isolating from each other. We end up being unloving to each other. The hearts of many grow cold. Lawlessness abounds. Everything gets crazy. And the devil wins. Because he gets us all alone. And that's the place he wants us. He wants you alone. He wants you separated from Jesus. Not good enough to go near him today. And then he wants you separated from your friends that could remind you that Jesus loves you in your mess. Let's look at a couple of miracles real quick in the Bible. I was going through just the book of John. I tried to stay in the book of John. Go to the book of John. John chapter 4. I love the book of John because the book of John shows encounters that Jesus has with people that nobody else wants to encounter. You know, the people that are messed up. The ones that don't want to be at the well when everybody else is there because of all the sin in their life. They don't want people to know. And so the first story is in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. Anyone ever hear this story before? Woman at the well. Why is she coming to the well at the time of day she's coming? Why would you come at noon during the sun heat trying to get your water and pulling all that water out of the well that you've got to carry all the way back in the middle of the day when nobody comes to the well? Because you know what? Normal people come to the well when? early in the morning so that while you're carrying this big jar of water back to the village, you're not dying in the sweltering heat. What would cause you to come to the well at noon? Shame. I don't want to be seen by others. Because what does the woman know about herself? Oh, man. She's been married how many times? Like seven. Not quite. Six. Oh, Jesus is the seven. Thank you. I'm glad I have a preacher in the audience that's picking up what I'm putting down. I love it. She's tracking with me. We're on the same wavelength. I love it. Thank you. And so here it is. And by the way, the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. The audacity. Huh. You certainly can't be at the well because that's, guess what? The well is where all of the people who are not good enough to come to the temple worship God. Ah, ha, ha, ha. So she has to come when no one's there because, well, this is the well that our father put in and this is where we come to worship God the Father and when you want to worship God the Father, you come to the well. Why? Because it's where we get our water. 
And the water keeps us alive. And without the water, we die. So this is our place of worship. And so then she has a question for Jesus because she realizes, she says, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Here I am at noon at the well with this Jewish guy who shouldn't be talking to me, right? And he knows everything about me. And yet, for some reason, he's still talking to me and not leaving. Not only am I not even, the, I'm not even a Jew. He's not, I'm a, and on top of that, she was a woman. You don't talk to this woman. She doesn't, she is not the right ethnicity. She is not in the right location. She is not the right sex. She is not the right anything. Everything about her is wrong, according to the religious people. Everything about you is bad. And Jesus goes, oh, you know what? Let's just get this out of the way. I know everything about you. And I'm still here. I'm sitting with you. And oh, by the way, I asked you for a drink of water. I don't need water. I actually asked you that question because if you'd known who I was, I could give you water that would cause you to never thirst again. And the woman's eyes get big. You know what? I don't know if she believed him in that moment. I don't know if at first when he was saying, hey, by the way, I can cause water to well up in you that will cause you to never thirst again. I mean, does she really believe this? I don't know if she believes it, but she wants to believe it, doesn't she? Her eyes get a little bit bigger. <laughs> what? First of all, this guy did the miracle. He did know about me. Maybe he can really do what he says that he can do. Maybe I'm sitting with the Savior of the universe at this well, and maybe he's come to see me even though I can't go to the place of worship when everyone else is here, because if I came to the place of worship when everyone else was looking, I would have to feel the shame of all the people talking about me because I don't have it together good enough. And then Jesus says, now I know everything about you. And he says, I'm telling you the truth. Look in your Bible. I've got this in my brain. I tell you the truth, there's coming a day when you won't come here to this well to worship me and you won't need to go to the temple of Jerusalem because I'm looking for people who worship me in spirit and in truth. Can I say something to people watching on Facebook and YouTube? If you never walk foot into this building, God loves you, he's with you where you are, his Holy Spirit can draw near to you when you ask, you can be born again. Jesus will come and find you at your well at noon when nobody's looking, isolated from everyone. And he will look you in the face and he will say, I know you, I love you, I'm still here for you, and I'm offering you the same thing that I offer everyone who sits in that building up on the hill in Pendleton. You've been staying away from church because you're afraid of COVID? That's okay. You know what? Jesus will come find you. He knows about your fear. He knows about the trials you've been through. He knows about the financial struggles and the stress. He knows about the tears you've cried because of loved ones you've lost to this terrible thing. And guess what? Through it all, I'm telling you something. You serve a God whose love can never be taken away from you. Nothing in all of creation. Let's remind ourselves again. Nothing in the heavens above and no. Even if you went down to Sheol, even if you went down to the depths of hell, even if the devil had you so beaten down that you were in his prison of sin and shame in the very depths of hell, Jesus could die on the cross and go down into that hell and kick the gates off of hell and bring you out of it because he's got power over the grave. We serve a risen Savior, not a dead one. And I'm yelling because I'm tired of living in a world full of Christians that act like you're stupid if you actually believe that prayer does something. I'll tell you something. If I lose my life in this body, Jesus will call me when he comes again and he'll call you. Have you lost someone and are you sad because they're dead? So am I. But I serve a risen Savior. And I'm sick and tired of living in a world full of people who act like you're ignorant, stupid. If you believe the word of God over the things that people are perpetuating all through our culture as if it's the gospel when it's not. Because the things that are being perpetuated are the things that are making you feel guilty because you're not keeping up. Because you don't have the right answers. Because you don't have the right knowledge. Because you didn't say it right. Because you didn't do it right. Because you didn't think the way that everyone in the, in, in, in the larger culture is thinking. And if you're a Christian and you believe the Bible and you believe in prayer and you think that Jesus can bring you back when he comes again, well, you're ignorant and you're actually, you're, you are mentally ill. You know, that's what scientists say now in the journals. Christians are mentally ill people. You believe the Bible and you're religious, you're mentally ill. Of course. It's okay. And you'll be fine. 
The mentally ill people believe that Jesus saves. That's okay. Pat them on the hand. Well, I got news for you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm going to keep preaching it. And I don't care if I look tired. I don't care if I have a suit or tie on. Because I'm here to tell you something today. You can't save your life. You can seek to save it and lose it, or you can lay it down for Christ's sake and believe his word, and he can save you. And maybe with the life that we have left in us, I don't know how many days I have. Like anyone, I could get sick any day and die from it, friends, okay? Like anyone. I'm not immune just because I'm the pastor of the church. I could have my life end, like anyone. But I'll tell you what I want to do while I'm living. I want to live a life of prayer and praise and devotion to the one who's calling me back from the grave that Satan's trying to put each and every single one of us in. And I want to tell other people about him too because it's the only hope we have. It is the only hope we have. Don't you know? They told me down at Pilot Rock, well, we're worried about you. You look tired. We don't want you preaching at both churches. I said, I don't care what you want. I'm still coming down to Pilot Rock. Well, you know, it's not real. I mean, we, we appreciate that you care about us and you come and preach here, but there's, you know, there's not very many people here. You don't need to burn yourself out. Perhaps you guys haven't been listening to me preach. Until the day I die, till the wheels fall off, I'm going to proclaim his name. And I won't be sad when it's over for me. When my time comes to an end in this world, I want to let you know what I'm going to be shouting. Freedom by the blood of Jesus, thank you. I'm going home. But you know what? I've gotten good news for you. I'm not going anywhere, and I know why I'm not going anywhere, because God has told me, Stephen, you have got a message to preach into all the world as a witness to all of the nations so that I can come again, and I am going to keep filling your lungs with air, and I'm going to keep your heart beating, and I'm going to keep your eyes sharp and your mind sharp, because I am going to give you the strength to proclaim the word of God without apologizing to the people in the world who tell you you're ignorant because you believe it. I will not apologize for the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the hope of glory for all who believe, and I want to see you there. This is the truth. I don't talk about this stuff because it's cute or because it causes me to belong to the Seventh-day Adventist subculture. I preach it because it is the word of God that's been the word of God long before the Seventh-day Adventist church ever existed, and I'm going to keep preaching it until there's nothing left in me. Because it is the hope. It's the hope for me, for you, for each and every single one of us here today that we don't have to keep going on under the slavery of sin and the prince of darkness who's beating us down and constantly telling us that what he wants us to believe about us is the truth. And quite frankly, my friend, thank you again for playing this morning. She, our, our, our church pianist preaches with her hands, friends. And when I'm feeling tired and weary on the front row of church, I listen to those hands playing the songs I've sung my whole life, which remind me of the power of Jesus. Okay, let's go to another story. Nobleman's son healed. Remember the nobleman? He comes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, my son is dying. Please come. Jesus says, ah, he says, listen, you people come to me. You want to see a sign. So you want me to come heal your son, and then you'll believe I'm the Savior of the universe? He says, listen, listen, nobleman, go home. Your son is healed. And the man believes. Really? You spoke the word. He says, oh yeah, go home. You're going to see your son is healed. The man runs home. He's hurrying all the way to see. And then his servant meets him on the road and he says, sir, I came. I ran as fast as I could because your son has recovered. He's well. He goes, okay, okay. But what hour of the day was it when it happened? When did it happen? And he tells him the time. And he says, that's... The exact moment that my Jesus spoke the word. When he spoke the word, it didn't matter. He couldn't come to his house. Fine. 
You know what I love about Jesus? You don't have to meet him at the well. You don't have to meet him at the temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to meet him in your suit and tie. And if he can't come to your house today, if you call out to him and he hears you from his throne up in heaven where he's sitting next to the Father interceding for you, all he has to do is speak the word. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. He's the creator of the universe. He made it all the first time, and he will make it all brand new. He will recreate you. He will speak it in a blinking of an eye. You will have no sin in you. There will be nothing in you that keeps you separated from the love of God. Oh, it's coming, friends. We serve the Savior who created the world and spoke it into existence at the beginning when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And we serve the Savior who still has the power to speak us all back into existence again in a twinkling of an eye when he comes and when he does there will be no more sin or separation in us and we will go to be with our father forever that's the jesus we serve some people say you know you get a little too loud pastor far you get a little too excited friends i'm getting loud and excited because we're running out of time and i keep talking about it but you know what i'm going to keep talking about it Maybe you feel like you're hearing the same sermon. I'm preaching the same sermon because we haven't figured out how urgent it is to let Jesus live in and through us so that other people can know that he's still on the throne and that he's alive. He's not in the grave. The devil has not won. God is not dead. He's alive. And his kingdom is coming. And his will is going to be done on earth for people who are coming together, praying together. And you know what? Do it in your sickness, your brokenness, or anything else that's happening. Because if you're coming together to worship the king of the universe, you're coming together to worship the only one who can save your life. You can't save yourself and no human wisdom or knowledge ever will. No government plan, no politics, no science, no medicine, no nothing can ever keep you alive forever. Only the son who came and died and rose again, can call your name and give you eternal life. And I will never apologize for preaching that. Write that down in your accusations against me. Email me about it. Send me another one. Tell me how pathetic and foolish I am to be teaching people that prayer does something. I will take your email gladly, and I will pray for you. Because God wants you to. He's still coming for you, even if you're mocking him, doubting him, like the people in the days of Noah did. And we knew what would happen because the Bible told us, as in the days of Noah, so shall the time of the Son of Man be. You'll be mocking, making fun of the preachers, telling them they're ignorant for actually believing the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, and that's okay because God still loves you, he's still coming after you, and he's not going to give up on you. And I won't give up on you either. I will keep loving you, I will keep praying for you, and there isn't anything that you can do to stop me. Why? Because the God I serve has put love in my heart for you. And his love never fails. His love never stops. You can't tell God anything about you that will God make him quit loving you. Good luck. I tried. I spent 10 years of my life. A suicide attempt at 19. Drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, you name it. Living homeless in bus stops, smelling, nobody wanting to be around me. And God found me 24 years old sleeping in that bus stop. And he says, guess what? I'm here because I've chosen you. And by the way, I chose you before time began. And I'm never giving up on you. And if you'll stand up out of this bus stop and you'll pray for me to put you in the right place at the right time, saying the right thing to the right people or doing the right thing or letting me live through you and show other people that I'm still alive and on the throne, I'm gonna make you a promise. Someday you're gonna get to heaven and your mom and your niece and your brother and your sister and your friends and your communities and everybody who knows my name because you let me stand up and live through you. Everybody that sees me lifted up, I will draw them to myself and I'm gonna make you a promise. You will see them in heaven. Friends, start living your lives knowing that God loves you even in your mess. Number two, be with your Christian friends. Let them pray for you and encourage you. And number three, start living your lives as if you have already gotten your bags packed and you're ready to go to heaven when he comes for you because you're never going to convince anyone to follow a risen Savior that you don't even believe can take you to heaven. We need to start believing that his righteousness is the ticket that gets us through the pearly gates so that we can invite people to heaven as people who actually believe we're going there. If the Adventist church was full of people who believed that when Jesus comes that they have eternal life in him and they didn't call it presumptive to actually believe Jesus, our churches would be packed. Because our churches would be full of people who actually believe that Jesus' righteousness is taking them to heaven. Okay. 
I've got to preach at Pilot Rock in a little bit, so I've got to make this quicker. Man healed at the pool of Bethesda. What was wrong with him? For 38 years, he was focusing on a pool of water being stirred. And if he could get in the water at just the right time, it would change his life. And he still believed that when Jesus came. He was still watching the pool intently, thinking if I... Yeah. If I only had someone to help me get into the pool at just the right moment, I'd finally be healed. 38 years he's believing this. He hadn't changed his mind. And then suddenly Jesus is standing there, and he asks the man a very curious question. And it's a question I'm going to ask all of you today. All of you sitting here this morning and all of you watching on YouTube and Facebook, I'm asking you the question right now. Do you want to be well? Simple. Do you really want to be well? You know what the definition of insanity is? Waiting at the edge of a pool where you thought people in this world would be kind enough to help you into the pool so you could be healed, not even realizing that the people who got in the pool never got healed. They were trusted. You know, they went in, oh yeah, I think I feel better. No, you don't. You'll probably be dead next week. The pool don't do anything for you. You're focused on the wrong thing. You got your eyes focused on the things in this world thinking it's going to save you. It might keep you alive for five more minutes, friends. But in the end, where are you putting your hope? And so suddenly, the Savior of the universe is like, man, you've been looking at that pool a long time when you should have been looking at me. I got a question for you. Do you want to be well? And the man says, yes, I do want to be well. And he says, well, then get up and walk. What are you waiting for? And the man thinks, yeah, this is a good idea. I'm going to do it. Now, this is great. And he gets up. And he starts walking. And then here's the atrocious thing. This is funny. You know what's funny? All of the people are angry because he was healed on the Sabbath. Oh, how dare you? After 38 years of waiting, it happened a day too early. It should have been on Sunday. That's when the healings happen. Clearly, the Jews didn't know that the Sabbath was actually hallowed and sanctified so that Jesus could do miracles, and that's why all of his miracles happened on the Sabbath. He had created a space and time where the Prince of Darkness couldn't have it, even if Adam did give dominion to Satan. And so he says, ha, ha, guess what? It's my day. And because it's my day, it's your day. Do you want to be well? Get up. Yeah, I think I do want to be well. I've been waiting for 38 years for the pool to make me well. Maybe I should put my faith in Jesus. And the man gets up and walks and carries his bed. And when the religious leaders are mad, you know what's so funny? He's like, listen, man, a few minutes ago I was next to the pool. I was there 38 years. What did you do for me? Did any of you ever come and help me into the pool? No, you didn't have time. You were too important. But the creator of the universe, who has a much busier schedule than you, showed up at the pool, and he had time for me on Saturday. And he had an important question. Would you like to be well? Take your eyes off the things of this world, like the pools that you're putting your faith in, and put them on Jesus and get up and start walking. And start walking like someone who's going to be in heaven when Jesus comes, because your name is written on the palms of his hands. He ain't going to forget you. The people at Pilot Rock love me. They don't care that I show up late. They just sing until I get there. And then they say, hey, please, preach until 1.30. We don't care. We'll eat afterwards. I love that. Okay, woman caught in adultery. Let me ask you a question. Did the sexual sin that was happening in that woman's life stop Jesus? Did the woman come to church? Did the woman come to Jesus confessing I'm a sinner because of my sexual sin? Did the woman want to be at Jesus' feet? Probably she did, but she didn't think she could. You know why? Because it was the religious people who had sinned against her. She couldn't go to church, because when she did, she was sitting next to the people who had paid for her. The same people who paid for her were the ones that knew about her and knew where to find her so that they could throw her at Jesus' feet just to trap Jesus in not condemning the person in sexual sin. How dare you not condemn the sexual sinners? Now we have a charge against you. You have to stone her according to the law of Moses, and if you don't do it, then everyone here has something on you, Jesus. You have to kill her. Do it now. What are you going to do? And they're all waiting. And then Jesus pulls a little wild card out of his head. He goes, I'm the savior of the universe. I know what you've been doing to the women in your churches. You heard me. Write that one down. Email me about it. I know the way you treated the women. 
and I'm exposing it publicly. I'm glad you brought her to me, because now I can bend down in the sand and I can write down all of the things that you're doing that's sinful. And now let's have a conversation. If you want me to stone her, are you ready for me to stone you? Because see, the thing is, is that Jesus could have stoned her. And he could have stoned them all. But he was planning on, very shortly from then, going to Calvary's tree to die for all of the sinners. The liars, the cheaters, the stealers, the adulterers, the whole list. And suddenly this argument over what is and isn't sin is stupid. Because you've all sinned. So we're having the wrong conversation. We're trying to argue over what is or isn't sin, and we're forgetting that the Savior wants to save sinners no matter what the sin. And we're forgetting that the woman caught in adultery didn't really want to come before Jesus because, well, I mean, yes, she did, but she thought, if I do, then I have to be stoned. And when she actually came before Jesus with all of her sin and her problems and everything that was true about her life, Jesus said, hey, where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Did she ever apologize? Did she ever confess? No. But I'll tell you something. When she came face to face with the, with the king of the universe and he forgave her, in that moment he made the decision to die for her so that he had the right to do it. And so friends, if Jesus died to have the right to forgive people, then stop condemning them. You don't have the right. You're a sinner too. Just like them. And quit having the wrong conversations and arguing over what is and isn't sin. That doesn't matter. Because if we're all sinners, then we're having the wrong conversation. The conversation we should be having is, is guess what? Maybe instead of throwing the woman caught in adultery at Jesus' feet or the person in sexual sin at Jesus' feet to have them condemned, we should all be running to Jesus' feet and falling at his feet and hoping that he says, go and sin no more to us too. All right, I'm done with that soapbox. And I'm covering my entire list because there's things that need to be said. I might not be here tomorrow. Maybe I'll get COVID again and die. Maybe, but you know what? I'll see you in heaven. I'm not really too worried about it. But right now I'm going to preach the word. Devil ain't putting no fear in me. I'm going to preach the word until there's nothing left in this man. And I won't apologize when I'm gone. You know what? If they say that I burned myself out doing the gospel work and I died because of it, so be it. I'm chasing after the one thing that promises each and every single one of us eternal life. I won't feel sorry for myself when it's over, friends. I am doing this because there isn't anything else worth doing. Blind man healed. Blind man brought to, G brought to the temple. He was blind from birth. John chapter 9, look it up. He was blind from birth. He comes to the temple to actually pay the, the sacrifice that he's supposed to pay, and then they're angry at him because when were you healed? Who healed you? Why can you see? Well, it happened today. Well, it's the Sabbath. It wasn't supposed to happen. Take us to the person who healed you. Sir, I don't know. All I know is, is I was born blind and now I can see. We don't believe it. It didn't happen. It never happened. And then the parents come. That's our son. He was blind from birth. Oh, awkward. Do, do you... I don't know about you, but if you were blind from birth and you can see, it's not something to be angry about. Friends, I was blind from birth. I was 24 years old the first time I ever saw. I heard this song playing on the Moulin Rouge. It's a secular song that says, I never knew I could feel like this Like I've never seen the sky before you know what happens when you know Jesus is calling you even though you're the wretch that nobody wants? You see for the first time. You see for the first time. Your eyes are open and suddenly you see yourself through Jesus' eyes for the first time and then everyone else is beautiful too. Everybody. Man, woman, child, Greek, Roman, it don't matter. He says, listen, they're all precious in my sight. And then you know he loves you in your mess. And then you're never going to see people in their mess the same again because you see them through heaven's eyes. And that's worth telling people about. That's the gospel of the kingdom I'm not ashamed of. I believe in a God that he creates people in their mother's wombs not to condemn them, but to give them eternal life. What's so wrong with that? Don't we know what it says in his word? Do we know it? Then why don't we love each other? And why do we keep trying to find reasons to keep each other out of a kingdom he paid his life for to get us into? Friends, it's ludicrous. And I am upset about it. I should be upset, shouldn't I? 
These are your children we're talking about. These are your family members. These are your friends. These are the people that you wake up next to in Pendleton and Pilot Rock every day of your lives. These people, they need to know about Jesus and they need to know about a Jesus who came to save them, not to condemn them, friends. Hello, and if you don't know them, then that's so sad. If you spend your whole life as a Christian coming to church and paying your tithe and you don't know that Jesus didn't come to condemn you, I don't know what gospel you've been listening to, but it's not God's gospel. And I'm so tired of it. I've been listening to this fight since I was a boy. The law. Jesus, the commandments, or Jesus. I don't know. You have to keep the law. We need to be law keepers. You can't keep the law. He wrote the law on tablets of stone so you would know that you couldn't keep it and that only he could keep it through you if you would come to him and let him heal you and change you. Yes, you can live by the commandments of God, but only if Jesus, who's the only one who is righteous, lives through you so that you can know him because when he comes again, he's not asking you if you have the rules. He wants to know if you know him or not. It's either you know me, come into my glory, or you don't know me. Depart from me. You're wicked. Do you hear what I'm saying, friends? I'm pleading for your souls. I don't care what time it is or where I'm at. What I care about is when I go to heaven, I want to see you there. And you can't get there without Jesus. He's the only way. That's why it's so hard. If I'm trusting in my money and my science and my education and all of the things of this world, and my politicians, and my leaders, and my God, and everything. If you put your trust in that, it will fail you. You die at the end of it. It doesn't take you any place. Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to go into heaven because it's so easy when you're wealthy and rich and you live in a country where you feel like you have everything to put your trust in, everything you can see, feel, and touch, and never go to a Savior that you can't see, feel, and touch because you haven't asked for his Holy Spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. Last few. Woman sick her entire life, afraid to come to Jesus. Matthew 9, verse 20. She finally has the courage to sneak through the crowd, hoping that no one will see her, just to reach out. And if I could just, even just touch the fringe of his garment, I'll be made well. Boom. Everything the doctors, the science, and the medicine could never do in a moment. And Jesus says, who touched me? Friends, Quit trying to find all of the things in the world that are going to save you and reach out and just touch the fringe of him. Reach to him. Trust me. Put your hand out to Jesus. He'll touch you. And if he touches you, you'll never be the same. Next story. Jesus anointed. Oh, before I do that one, though, let's talk about Lazarus. What an embarrassment. Jesus is late. He showed up late. What an, what an embarrassment. And everyone comes out, Jesus, you're not on time. He's already dead. It's too late. You can't heal him now. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. I waited on purpose, three days. Remember? Why did he wait three days? Because <laughs> he planned on doing the same thing later. He's been dead for three days, right? You guys think no one can come back after three days. Have you been reading the prophets that you stoned and killed? They said I'd come too, that you'd hate me, that you'd put me on the cross, and in three days I would come back, but you don't believe it. And so when I try to tell you I'm about to go to the cross to die for you, you don't even believe my story. Because right now you're trying to figure out how to kill me, and yet you don't figure out that I'm actually going to go to the cross. So he says, I let Lazarus stay in the grave three days so that you would know after three days, once he starts to stink, and everyone thinks that there is no hope, that I can speak the words and Lazarus comes out alive and he no longer stinks. And that was when they decided to kill him. Not because they didn't know he had power over the grave, but because they knew. See? Oh. Uh-oh. They're all going to follow him because he is the savior of the universe. It's time to kill him. And it's sad because we do the same thing. He has the power to save and people come to him and trust in him and then we mock them and persecute them for doing it. Or no, you know what? You're, you're not good enough to come to Jesus. And you didn't come, you know, to church on Sabbath. You guys hear what I'm saying? Am I the only one here this morning? All right. And so then the woman, who's the worst of them all, comes again at the end. Jesus has told his disciples, John chapter 12. He says to his disciples, I'm going to go to the cross soon. It's happening. Nobody listens. And suddenly here's a woman in the banqueting hall of a very wealthy, important man. Right? 
And here's this woman anointing Jesus with this very expensive oil. And all of his disciples who have said, we'll go with you to the death and everything and made all their proclamations are sitting there persecuting the woman for coming to Jesus and anointing him with him oil because she's the only one who believes he's about to die. She's putting the oil on him because she knows he's about to be buried. She's preparing his body for crucifixion. Do you understand? The woman that nobody wants in church is the one who actually believed the gospel story, so she took action on it. She was there anointing him. She knew he was about to die. She was weeping. I know you're going to die for me. You forgave me in the street that day because you're going to go to the cross so that I can live. And she's weeping. And she's washing his feet with her hair. And she's just poured out an entire year's wages on Jesus because she's like, I just don't want you to go to that cross and die. I need my Savior. You're the only one that ever forgave me or saw me or told me that there was any hope for my life. And now they're taking you. Why? Because you've healed the sick and the blind and raised the dead and fed the thousands of hungry. You've solved the problems that none of these religious leaders ever could. And because of it, they're going to kill you. You're the hope of the world and they're taking you. And she's weeping. And she should be weeping. And we should be weeping too. Because we live in a world full of people who are trying to tell people if they have faith in Jesus that they're fools. And he's telling us I'm coming soon and there's going to be lives lost if we don't take it seriously and preach the gospel. And everyone's like, you know what? Settle down. Preach a little quieter. Preach a little shorter sermons. Don't get so excited. Perhaps I'm reading the wrong Bible. Okay, I have to wrap it up and go preach at another church. But I do want to say this. I do want to say this. I'm just going to say this, and then Devin's going to play a video for you guys. It's already, like, we're in Sabbath school time in 10 minutes. Okay, that's fine. I mean, after missing you guys for an entire month, I don't know when I walk out the door if I'm coming back, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Romans 1.17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. Read it with me. For everyone. Everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written by the prophets and patriarchs who came before you, Abram being the one who started the whole mess in the first place. Why are we here? He believed and it was counted unto him as the righteousness of Jesus, not the righteousness of Abram. That man was a mess. And so are we. Okay, Galatians 3.11. Galatians 3.11. I love Galatians. It's such a small book, when you try to turn to it, you can't find it. Anyone else ever have that? Yeah, but it's the, here, here's the thing. It's one of those little hidden, beautiful Gospels right in the middle of it all, right? Okay, Galatians, Ephesians, all right. It's a good thing I went to the seminary so that they could help me do the Bible books memorization thing so that when I'm really lost, I can try to find the book, Right? I'm just like you, friends. I'm a lost human being in need of Jesus. That's why I'm here. I'm in church preaching because I was really, really, I misbehaved very much. So I thought maybe I should stay very close to Jesus so that I don't get back out there again, right? Hello? I'm not up here preaching because I'm better than everyone. I'm up here preaching because I'm worse than everyone. Galatians 3.11, okay, we're just going to do this one too, and then I'm going to go and the song is going to play, and I'm not going to come back and pray because I need to drive to the other church. But I just want to say this to you so that you can really, let's make the connection between, between what we read in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. We're just going to make a connection. Are we ready for it? All right, I'm just going to bring, I'm going to read 10 and 11. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. So in other words, if you don't do all of it perfectly, you're cursed. And no one's ever done it all perfectly. 
Are we picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, so to do them, it would be nice if we could, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them will live by them. So what does this mean? It says, listen, you're not saved by the law. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you will do them. But you won't be you doing them. It'll be Jesus doing them. Amen. And that's all I have to say about that. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath.